Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early stage entrepreneurs to understand what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. Hey there. Today we're going to be chatting with the co-founders of Stream, that's S-T-R-E dot M-E, which is a platform for behavior change, specifically focused on implicit bias right now. Jack and Anne-Marie are the two co-founders we're going to chat with, and we're going to walk through a little bit about kind of current status of the business, the pilots that they're working with, what the platform does, what they think it'll be doing in the future, the specific opportunity in healthcare to get real hard data on ROI and effectiveness, which is uh, kind of the, the industry or vertical that they've focused those initial pilots on. Uh, some of the struggles of early stage startup life and kind of growing and launching a business and then the diversity, equity and inclusion space overall and a little bit about the current status of that space, particularly in 2020. Super fun episode. I hope you like it. You can find Jack, Anne-Marie and Stream online. Tag them on the social medias. Tell them thank you for coming on the podcast and thank you so much for listening. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I have the co-founders of Stream, Jack Patton, who's the CEO, and Anne-Marie Labenberg, who's the Chief Equity Officer. Jack, Anne-Marie, welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Why don't we start with a quick pitch, elevator pitch for Stream? Stream enables HR and diversity, equity, and inclusion leaders to rapidly deploy individualized implicit bias education on a platform where users learn what implicit biases they have, then watch specific video segments based on their implicit association test results, and track uh, progress and set goals to apply what they learned every day. So let's take that to the next level of tangibility. If I am an employee at a company that is working with Stream, what is my experience? How am I, how am I engaged and what does that look like over time? Uh, so what would happen is, is you would have individual emails that you would get at the beginning of each week with individual implicit association tests through Project Implicit, that's through Harvard University. And you would go out and take those implicit association tests. You would learn more about your individual biases, and then you would get custom video content directly related to that particular bias that you have and learn more about how to manage that in your everyday life. Then you would have the opportunity to make the rubber meet the road where we would hold you accountable and you would hold yourself accountable for applying the new things that you've learned. So making sure that you understand the bias that you have, how it affects the decisions that you make, and then make commitment that you're going to do a better job and work at managing your biases and ultimately making better decisions. What does that commitment look like? Is that just me making that commitment to myself or is there like a, are there actual commitment devices built into the, the platform? Our, for, for the end users, our platform has progressive web app. And within that, we deliver an, uh, over an eight-week timeline content that's about bias basics, goal setting, and then 16 implicit biases that are distributed once a week. Um, so when you break that up over a six or seven week time period, then it, it equates to a little less than an hour throughout the week. 
And a lot of that is a lot of that um, hour is spent taking assigned implicit association tests to actually show what implicit biases you have. And then from there, the video segments that we serve through the progressive web app are anywhere from three and a half to four and a half minutes once we get beyond the, the basics. And so through that process, it's one massive decision tree with over 4,000 permutations in it that lets the user pick their own path based on their specific um, implicit biases. Wow. And then the last piece here, since this is all about behavioral sciences, is we apply goal-setting methodology to have people first learn how to manage their implicit biases, and then secondly, make better decisions. And it's a daily reflection, uh, goal tracking piece that takes seconds every day. But what ends up happening is this leads to incremental behavior change that holds people like more and more accountable for and aware of managing their implicit biases. And over the long haul, over the duration of this six or seven week timeline, that is the thing that helps people learn how to make better decisions because they become more aware of unconscious biases when, you know, it's easy to think that they can be eliminated or taken away. And the reality is you just have to learn how to manage them. Got it. What gets reported back to the employer? We first, uh, before any educational content is consumed, have learning outcomes that are measured about basic, you know, bias information. And then we have cohorts take that same questionnaire at the end. So first is we measure learning outcomes. And then secondly, we have user progress that's reported through a, an accountability partner portal where cohort facilitators can see individual user progress by day. And so we track things like, did this particular user make progress today? Yes or no. And then the next step that we do is uh, with analytics, we look at the behaviors and resources that the individual is applying. And in aggregate, we report those analytics on a weekly basis back to the cohort uh, facilitators so they have a better idea of knowing what training opportunities to provide down the road. They can see when people are making progress and, again, with what, you know, with the specific behaviors and resources, or they can see when users aren't making progress. And so that facilitates a different level of conversation you know, if somebody's not making progress, is that because there's a technical issue and they're unable to access the app? Or do they have a fundamental philosophical difference with the content they're consuming? And in either of those instances, that provides an opportunity for the employer and the employee to engage in a conversation that's much more supportive and complementary than perhaps some of the, you know, stigmas associated with performance management that seem to be more punitive or judgmental. And probably as an aside too, um, important to note just from an ethical consideration, at no point does the employer know the individual biases of the employees. There's no point where that information is transmitted. In fact, it's not even stored in the app at all. I was hoping you would say that. Awesome. Thanks. Hit me with some current stats for the business. Can be any kind of stats, KPIs, vanity metrics, anything that will paint a picture for a listener where you and the team are at in this journey? 
Sure. Well, we just launched our uh, current version of the platform in August. So taking a step back from that uh, last month in September, we launched three pilots. Beyond that, our MRR doubled you know, month over month. We've had some, some legacy early adopters in the system. But beyond that, we're, we're at the very early part of this early stage venture and looking at 2020 as a time where we continue to cultivate relationships that lead to pilots so that we can test and learn from the platform. And why did the two of you choose to launch this business? It's a it's a long and complicated story. <laughs> the <laughs> thing is, is that uh, Jack and I come at this from two different angles. The, the side that I come at this from is from equity. I've done implicit bias education and trainings for a little over 11 years, and I've trained a little over 15,000 individuals in implicit bias. So I've worked in social justice work and underserved and, and underrepresented populations for all of my career. And as a serial entrepreneur, I'm used to taking the risks associated with making bold statements and making things happen along those lines. So for me, I came at it from uh, a background of I'm a nurse by trade, in addition to having a background in strategic management. So I do understand how businesses have to look at this, but I also understand the bigger implications And Jack and I met through the Northeast Indiana Innovation Center. I was running a mastermind there, and he was in the process of starting the very beginning of Stream. I am a late entry co-founder. Right on. And this started as a passion project for me 13 or so years ago, where as my career progressed and I started to get more and more responsibility and I become more involved with entrepreneurship and, you know, building things, including, you know, teams and people and products and services. I started to research on the behavioral sciences side of things, choice and how that led to accountability and over, again, this 13-year this time period, eventually developed a framework through uh, behavioral sciences research, empirical studies, you know, peer-reviewed journal articles, things of that nature that serve as the technological underpinnings of, of STREAM and really represent the accountability piece. So when Anne-Marie and I bring the equity and the accountability together, what we're really looking at is behavior change. And just through the course of customer discovery and really honing in on product market fit, what we realized is um, the type of behavior change that we saw an opportunity to help prompt in a positive way is the kind that's really driven by people learning more about why they make decisions. And that can both serve as a, uh, an opportunity and a crisis, the kind that motivates people um, to change. And so it's, it is an interesting technological play in the day when we want to be ethical with our persuasive technology design. We want to people to see accountability and equity as positive things, that they feel good about themselves because they learn how to grow and 
to overcome adversity and to do all the things that help create positive resources within every person. So there's a lot of psychology in this, but at the end of the day, as being a scalable platform, we also recognize that it, it there are a lot of advantages that come along with technology as long as we avoid getting too far away from that humanistic you know, human-centered approach to this because it is absolutely unequivocally all about people, uh, both individually and then together. When you think about competitors in the space today, who or what comes to mind? So at a high level, we have trainers. And when we think about training, of course, there's a lot in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space but we think of traditional training formats as, you know, part of the competitive landscape. You know, either you're showing up to attend some training in person or perhaps your HR or diversity, equity and inclusion department delivers something online. Um, so that's one sliver as a kind of a status quo area. We also have training consultants who deliver compliance, diversity, um, sexual harassment, all those kinds of things. And then you have other platforms that offer many things in the employee development world, in the compliance world, of which implicit bias is a part. And then you have the employee development or performance management space that's much more rooted in the HR world. You could even say that we compete a little bit in the OKR space because of the goal setting and tracking piece. But at the end of the day, from what we can see, there are different competitors who are doing different, um, who are offering different solutions that are somewhat similar, but to different audiences. Uh, And so we, we think about it in those terms, because this really is about behavior change. And when we talk about being a rapidly deployable solution that still offers um, an individualistic experience and then holds people accountable for what they are learning, those are the pieces that we can, from what we can tell in the marketplace are new. Can we, with your permission, can we can we pick apart that last answer a little bit? I'd be super interested sure. since there's maybe some different different solutions based on the audience. Who's the audience that you guys are going after, and how do you or why do you think your positioning stream, uh, or in what ways maybe this is a better question? In what ways are you positioning stream specifically for that audience? When we think about the functional experts who might serve as uh, champions or product experts or cohort facilitators. Uh, we see that really living in HR plus the diversity, equity, and inclusion side within the organization, depending on the size and, and all of those things. Do you want specific platform names? Is that what you were referring to? Or No, I, I, I guess I'm thinking of when you think of selling stream, who are you selling to? Like, who is this made for? Is this made for... A 50-person consulting company, or is this a 500-person manufacturing company, or is this a 6,000-person kind of global, multi-state, you know, whatever, right? So, like, when you think of, I, I guess I, I was maybe keying off of audiences the wrong way in your question, because I, I, just trying to understand, like, where do you, when this solution, you're, you're kind of custom building to, to go after a specific problem for someone, who is that someone? Okay. Yeah. So that's a great question. And it's something that we are still learning about. The platform is industry agnostic, but we understand that there are different people and economic problems in different industries and in different verticals. 
So when we look, when we take a step back and we look at regulatory drivers, we have Congress that passed the Health and Equity Accountability Act of 2018. And then we have states like Michigan this past July, the governor issued an executive order for all providers to receive implicit bias training because just because of the pervasive issue that this has become. So with that being said, this does have capability to go, you know, from a 25 person shop all the way up to a, as you mentioned, a 6,000 person shop or, you know, or organization rather, or through, you know, a state. So we're still trying to find good fit, bad fit in that regard. But the one thing we can say is in terms of leadership, culturally, uh, there is a really important attribute that we're noticing um, comes into play, and it's beyond any passion that uh, an organizational leader may have. But we need organizations that are both innovative and progressive. And and that point about being progressive is really about feeling comfortable with the vulnerability, the empathy, and the openness that is required to do the work here for the individuals, the teams, and the organizations going through this process. And so, again, that's something that we're still learning about, um, and we're sorting our way through that based on the market's response to what we have to offer. Got it. How, if if I can ask, this is one of the things you can say no to, uh, how many customers do you have today on, on the platform? We are piloting with three uh, organizations right now, and we have nothing official to report beyond that other than very positive, interesting, and uh, very qualified proposals that are out in the marketplace. Awesome. And based on those the results of those pilots, right, where hopefully you're getting, I, I'm assuming the, the goal is kick butt case study data, right, that allows you to go sell into uh, future organizations. When you think about selling into another organization, who, like, who are you targeting? Is it, it, it I mean, obviously, if they have a DNI officer, it's probably that person, but then that's still pretty rare, I would imagine. So is it, is it a head of HR? Is it, is it somebody else on the executive team who might recognize this as a potential problem and just wants to get in front of it? Like, I guess when you think about either a marketing campaign or direct B2B sales, who are you thinking about targeting as part of that messaging? I think a big part of it relies on which industry you're in. Um, for us in the healthcare space, we've had really good reception in the C-suite. So the thing with healthcare is they recognize that there's an issue with bias and outcomes. There's tons of research related to the inequities that happen in healthcare. And there's also the monetary side of it, which is patient satisfaction scores, because that's realistically how hospitals get reimbursed by Medicare and Medicaid are based on their patient satisfaction scores. So being able to correlate how they interact as a team, how they provide care, the specific care that they have, the patient's outcomes and the patient satisfaction, that's something that people who are watching the bottom line are really very interested in figuring out a way how to correlate that. Depending on the other industry, sometimes it can be diversity and inclusion. A lot of times that's a fundamental 
activity of an HR director or vice president of HR. But we've had a lot of organizations that really are looking at cultural changes. And this is something that from that standpoint, sometimes it's just management teams that are really looking at it. That the healthcare example you gave in there is like, deeply satisfying to me. So thank, <laughs> thank you for that. So as part of your pilot, are they are those organizations giving you access to patient satisfaction scores over time? Like, are you able to draw any of those correlations or TBD? Don't know yet. Well, we don't know all the details. The good thing about patient satisfaction scores are those are publicly available. So ultimately, they don't have to divulge those. Those were things that get published annually through the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. So ultimately, we'll be able to correlate quarterly reports based on the time framing where people are using this system. Fantastic. Uh, I did not know those were published quarterly. That's a good little insight. Okay. is the So from a primary go-to-market perspective... Sounds like you're focusing on healthcare first. Is that is that true? That's correct. Healthcare has been our first focus, but we have had interest from multiple different verticals. So this is still all part of that customer discovery process to figure out where the right product market fit is. The good news is, is the training and the educational portion of this can be used by anybody. So it's not that you need to have a specialized education in order to understand or participate. Anybody literally can use that. And what's the investment from an organization's perspective? And, and I'm not even talking about pricing. You don't, I'm sure you guys are still figuring that out. No, no need to go there. But I'm I'm specifically thinking of it's multiple weeks of content, kind of custom tailored for me. Each piece of content has some length. So when you're coming in and, and talking to me about my employees and, and them doing this, I'm obviously as a business owner doing the math of like, okay, well, I'm going to have 100 people go through this. You're telling me it's roughly an hour a week for each of those people. So let's call it 10 weeks. So that's like a thousand hours of time that I'm going to spend on. I'm investing into this for, you know, in addition to whatever the cost is. Is that is that part of the math that an organization is doing as well? Oh, absolutely. They're, they're going to have to factor in the time in there. The difference is, is we cover infinitely more material in a shorter period of time than if they just did standalone training. And part of the big differential between the two is that we hold people accountable for actually using that information. There are studies that are out there that show that traditional trainings on implicit bias, the length of time that the value of that and the understanding and knowledge is held on by the participant is 96 hours. So (laughs) while you may be spending more time over a longer period of time, meaning you're not spending any more time, but it takes longer to go through this process. In the end, you're spending less time and you have the application portion of it where ultimately we're looking at changing behavior and not just having people learn something that they're ultimately going to forget in 96 hours. So I I feel like I and, and I'm I know that you said these before, but I didn't pick them up with as fine of a point is as I did just now, uh, which is probably my fault. But like, I feel like you just gave me the two key differentiated value props, right? It's faster and people will retain it longer because we're, you know, we're going to hold them accountable to it. So mm-hmm. how, so and if you can answer this, how is it faster? Why is it faster? Like what, what makes your content better than somebody else's? 
The biggest reason why it's faster is because it's custom. So instead of having to do generalized training on every type of bias that's available to everyone all at the same time, people are giving custom video content specifically related to their individual biases. So instead of having to cover a whole host of information on every bias, they're getting custom individualized training instead of having to go through generalized training. So, so your assessment, as I, as I start engaging with your content, your platform is going to very quickly figure out that while I'm pretty good about understanding gender bias, I'm not very good about racial, my, my biases in racial diversity. And so it's going to just naturally take me down the path that is going to be most impactful for me. I'm understanding that correctly. Is that true? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right on. Love that. As an example, when we look at the total runtime for the video that we provide every user, it's essentially 132 minutes worth of content over six weeks. But to Anne-Marie's point, what's different is that covers 16 implicit biases, everything from the healthy self to how you think about exercise or marijuana risk to ethnicity, race, age, and the whole integrated health piece. So you you do dial down into much more specific content. So it's more effective and more efficient from a content delivery perspective, which is why you know we reference this massive decision tree with over 4,000 permutations. Once you get beyond understanding bias basics and goal tracking so that you can start to, to be equipped to apply what you learn around managing your implicit biases. And what does that goal tracking look like tangibly? So when I'm in stream and and I identify that I want to set a goal for this, what can give me an example of a goal? Sure. So within two sessions of the of the program, part of our video content is to explain you know why goals uh, are structured in the app the way they are, and then the users are directed to um, enter them in as behavior and resource action steps. So that takes, you know, just seconds and minutes to consume, seconds to do, minutes to consume the content. And then once users have the goals in the app, it is, you know, like the first primary goal is to manage unconscious biases. So we have them track progress against behaviors like, am I reviewing my daily prompts? Am I practicing the pause? You know, more proprietary pieces that are, again, pulled from, behavioral sciences to help the users apply what they learn. Um, And then the daily tracking is something that takes seconds. I mean, our time studies show that to open and close the app and track progress, you're talking 21 seconds. And the goal tracking piece is designed to improve self-efficacy. So we ask questions like, you know, do you feel that this primary goal can be completed? Tell us where you track progress. What choices did you make? So more things that seem, uh, even though it's a quantitative measure, that that are more qualitative in nature to get the individual to be a little bit more reflective. So we, we blend both of those methodologies to, again, give us a pathway to show, is this user 
tracking progress? Are they applying what they learn? And then we visualize that information, that data in the app to the individual user so they can see their trajectory. They're either improving and their trajectory is going up by day or they're staying the same or they're avoiding and their trajectory is going down. And then within the cohort facilitator portal, cohort facilitators can also see that individual user's progress, either Jack is avoiding and not tracking progress for the past eight days, or Anne Marie is doing an awesome job and she's tracking progress for the past eight days. And I think you said this before and I've forgotten, who is that cohort facilitator? Is that somebody on your team? Is that one of my coworkers? Who who is that person? Generally, the cohort facilitator is going to be a champion within the organization, someone that's gone through and has been... um, ultimately gone through and understands the lay of the land in the app and the process so that they can help facilitate others through the process. Got it. This episode is brought to you by Full Stack PEO. Most founders start companies because they figured out a better way to solve a problem or serve a need, not because they love tracking payroll, filling out compliance forms, and explaining employee benefits packages. And yet, all that stuff still has to be done. That's why there's Full Stack PEO. Full Stack PEO specializes in turnkey HR for emerging companies, not just those core services, but advice and expertise that help founders maximize employee potential. Curious? Find out more at fullstackpeo.com. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. Dream big with me here for a second. I know you guys are still really early in this process and trying to figure out product market fit and pricing and who your target customer is and all that stuff. But if I were to ask you to tell me what this product looks like three to five years from now, what do you think you're adding to it over the next three to five years? So right now we have um, specific things in the works, uh, like a certification. But at the end of the day, we, we, we think of Stream as a way to help people uh, become the you know, best versions of themselves. So ideally, because every, every person intrinsically has implicit biases, it's easy for us to think about you know, the total addressable market being international and, you know, all the things there. But, you know, three, three to five years from now, we see in a very human-centered way, again, with ethically persuasive design, where data science can also help stream, help stream serve as a virtual accountability to prompt positive behavior change across you know wide swaths of groups because we all again have implicit biases we we see the opportunity to help people become first aware of their unconscious biases and then secondly learn how to manage them to improve their communication their decision making process their human interactions uh, and and then the next step in terms of outcomes is thinking about the things that really help us, you know, become more patient, become more empathetic and vulnerable and ultimately accountable for our decisions, which, you know, as tough as it is to sometimes do this hard work, that's the piece that we feel is just missing in the marketplace is prompting positive behavior change that helps us learn how to make better decisions and become better people. Yeah. What, 
what's flashing through my head as you talk about that is, you know, I almost wonder if there's an application and and maybe you guys have thought about this and already and and said no way for these really smart reasons, but is there do you see a future application where this is just a straight to consumer product, kind of like Calm or Headspace or something like that, or do you think this always has to be come through the employer? I think we've toyed around with the idea. I don't think that there's ever going to be a point where we're like, oh, I don't want to go directly to consumer. Ultimately, this is something that anybody who has access to the internet can benefit from. So if it's not going to be something that's done from B2B, I do see that there are certain applications where it would totally make sense for us to have uh, business to consumer. Interesting. What's uh, to date, what's been the biggest challenge you guys have faced in starting this company? A single solitary thing when launching a startup in 2020. (laughs) I don't know that we can uh, pinpoint an exact thing. Um, Part of it is learning as you grow. Um, Funding is always, I mean, that's always at the forefront of every startup's uh, journey is how do you fund going further faster? But realistically, for us, we wanted to do this right. There's a difference between doing things just for the sake of doing them and then doing them with integrity and wanting to do the right thing. And that's been a big focus for us because this isn't just a widget. This is how do you make people be better people and do the right thing and understand how their biases affect everything that they do every day. We were really looking to figure out how to do this the right way. And as as common as it may sound, you know, money is a challenge always because, you know, we, we subscribe to the lean startup methodology. And of course, we want to build, measure and learn as fast as we can. And there's always some little there's always something, you know, that, that we need to do. But I think taking a step back from that and really identifying people who do what they say they are going to do is another nuance that really factors into the decision to take this on. What I mean about taking this on is and our customer discovery, it, you know, is, is uh, the, the word that we consistently hear is, can, is intrigued. People are intrigued about what we're doing. And as we go through the purchase process, what we find is that there, and even through the product usage, uh, when we do cohort analysis, there's a distinct difference between you know people who follow through and do what they say they will do, and people for a myriad of other reasons simply don't. And um, that's why the idea of working with organizations, teams, and individuals who are both innovative and progressive comes to mind. Because as much as we have designed this experience to, you know, take individuals farther, faster in their educational experience to, again, be more aware of and accountable for their implicit biases, it's tough. It can be tough. I mean, if you're busy, it's tough to fit in, you know, work like this an hour a week. It's self-paced, you know, might take 20 minutes a time to sit through this process But if for whatever reason, people are at a point in their life where it's hard for them to really think about what, you know, the content is, you know, saying socially, culturally or historically, sometimes that can be unsettling. 
And so we understand that, but there is an element of discipline and accountability here where it's common for people to have verbal rhetoric behind the idea and very little follow through. And so that's that's not a, a criticism by any means. It's just that there is um, there's something about the process where, you know, really being eager to dig in and work on ourselves, you know, matters. It makes a difference here. I know we had um, part of what we do at Startup Competitors historically is we would do com- competitive analysis reports for very specific startup ideas. We, it, we're pivoting away from that now, but that that was kind of why we originally started the company. And I remember we did a report, oh, two years ago now, maybe, maybe two-ish years ago now on, I think it was sexual harassment reporting inside of a company, right? So if you, you work at a large company, is there a technology platform for, and I don't even know if it was sexual harassment. It might've just been discrimination, harassment in general. It might've been any type of harassment, but it was basically this idea of, is there a software tool that you can report internally to get that information, you know, to the right place for people to take action on it. And when we looked at the market at the time, the thing that we found was this might have been around the Me Too movement uh, specifically, but uh, which is why maybe I was focused on sexual harassment. But the thing that we found at the time was there's a lot of organizations talking about it, right? So you could find literally hundreds of news articles about, you know, brand name companies taking a stand on this issue and what they should be doing and, you know, how diversity and inclusion is an important thing. And then when you looked at the landscape of, you know, the, the, the things we look at in that report, traditionally, we would look at, okay, who's building technology for that problem. And there was, you know, nobody, there were just a handful of companies a couple of years ago, scratching the surface of that space. And then number two is who's funding those companies, right? So where's the capital that's going to really ignite the growth in that space? And and that also didn't exist at the time. And I, I remembered it so starkly because it was the first time that we had ever seen this disconnect between kind of the PR data that we look at, uh, which is, you know, who's talking about what and is there general sentiment? And could you buy keywords? Could you, you know, like a, that's a big part of launching a business, right? Is are there people looking for the thing that you want to build? And by a PR perspective, the answer was, yeah, of course. Like everybody's talking about this. this is the biggest thing happening right now culturally. But the reality was on the other side of that, there was nobody building product and there was nobody funding product. You know, so one of the things I'm I'm hearing you say, Jack, and, and that answer is maybe still a little bit of that now. It's, you know, it's a couple of years later. I think now it's, you know, obviously the cultural topic has shifted quite a bit this year. But still potentially the same thing does that does that ring true to you what i just said is that is that still a problem today or do you think that has changed yeah that is fair and you know to add to that absent nothing training is a phenomenal you know first step unless it will create some damage and and Anne marie referenced some research earlier and you know there's 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 some research that show if implicit bias training is delivered a certain way, it can deepen individuals' biases and even create a backlash effect within the organization. So we're actually very purposeful to to your point about removing or minimizing the word training from our vernacular because we feel like that has a start and an end point. And what we are really trying to get people to do with behavior change is to be aware of and accountable for their decisions. 
And that's something that's an ongoing process. And that's why that word we hear from either prospective investors or customers or you name it off the street, they say, that's intriguing or I'm intrigued by that. But we do still see that gap. I mean, there's, there's uh, from what we can tell, whether it's in the health innovation space or law enforcement or higher education, we are unable to find anybody tackling behavior change in this way and to specifically address a root cause like implicit bias that affects how we communicate, make decisions and interact with other people. That may be a good place to wrap up. If, if somebody is listening to this and they would like to engage with you around behavior change for their organization, what's the best way to, for them to get a hold of you? can visit stream at www.stre.me and also feel free to submit an email to info at streamstre.me. And if you search for us, we are online. (laughs) Right on. Anne-Marie, Jack, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, come on the podcast and congratulations on the pilots that you have and best of luck in the future as you continue to grow. Thanks so much. Thank you. If you're thinking of launching a SaaS product, startup competitors can provide data on your closest competitors, survey potential users, or provide other product validation services. Learn more at startupcompetitors.com.